also references Israel. And we all know, or maybe we know, maybe you don't, but uh, Israel was in uh, captivity for 70 years in Babylon because of their sin as a nation for forgetting God and dishonoring Sabbath and different things. So he promised them so many years of that. And the 70 years was up, and the Jews had returned home. And it was a glorious time, but not everybody went home that could go home. When Babylon attacks someone, what they do is they carry the people home or the, some of the best that they have home with them, and they let them intermingle with their people and let their religion become their religion. And then they leave the other people there. And that way they can make them Babylonians, even though they're not. And so a lot of them didn't return home, but some of the faithful did. But while they were in Babylon, they weren't really allowed to, to practice their religion. And the only um, memory they had of their faith was what the older people had. They remembered it. And seven years is a long time. So if they were middle-aged people that was taken into captivity, seven years on that, they were probably all dead. And then they had the younger people that wasn't taught as much as the older people was. So they had memories of uh, some of God's word, but not a lot of it. How many today, if every Bible in the world was suddenly disappeared, how many of you have enough scripture in your heart to be able to teach it to someone else? You know, that's a scary thought. But of course, you know, and they have that, that scenario is very real in some parts of the world. They have, maybe they have one Bible that they pass among people, or they tear out pages and they hand pages to different people. And they take them home and they memorize them. And they come back and they have the complete Bible in the people that's memorized them. And then they go from there. Now, I'm glad we don't have to do that. It's so easy to have God's word. And yet it's so easy for us to neglect God's word. <coughs> so, but they had returned home and they had rebuilt the temple and they had just finished the walls. And Ezra, he was a priestly scribe and basically the governor, I believe, <clears throat> at the time. Sorry, these allergies over here this morning are bad. As soon as we hit the Fredonia sign, we started getting allergies. <laughs> Randy says, give me an allergy pill. I took two, and I just took another one. But anyway, yeah, hopefully the, pi the pill will kick in, but sorry about that. <clears throat> anyway, so he thought it was about time to start teaching God's word. After all those years, and they got everything done and settled, and now the people were ready. And so, Nehemiah 8, 1b through, not just 7, so the others must be on the next slide. But anyway, they asked Ezra the priest and scholar of the law, which the Lord had given Israel through Moses, to get the book of the law. So Ezra brought it to the place where the people had gathered, men, women, and children, who were old enough to understand there in the square by the gate, he read the law to them from dawn until noon, and they all listened intently. Man, can you imagine that? If you brought all your kids here at dawn, and you came with them at dawn, and we preached the word of God from dawn till noon, how many people do you think we'd have left by noon? How many kids would we have left? But this, this verse is amazing to me because they, the children stood there and they listened. 
And they stood. They didn't get to sit. They stood. In a lot of places, they stand as they read the Word of God, and, you know, and that's okay. But that was one of their habits. When the Word of God was read, they stood. So now they're not only there for that long, they're standing. And these kids are standing. Now, I don't know how old the youngest kid was, but they did a pretty good job of disciplining their kids, didn't they? Of course, back then, it was okay to stone your kid. <laughs> so I guess that would be an incentive. <laughs> if your kid committed a, a huge sin, they'd stone them. Or they, the parents would go to the priest and say, my kid is just unruly. Can't do anything with him. He's a troublemaker. All they had to do was go out there, and after they had the trial, whatever they had, they would take him out to the place. But the thing is, the parents had to throw the first stone. So you'd really have to dislike your child a lot to throw the first stone at him. I couldn't do that, no matter how bad they were. I'd have a hard time with that one. But I guess that would kind of keep them in line a little more. Hey, shape up or I'm going to stone you. You know, we brought you in this world and we can take you out and we can make another one just like you. <laughs> but anyway, they were very respectful of the word of God. Ezra was standing on a wooden platform that had been built for the occasion. That's why we have platforms, actually. It's to raise the people up so they can have a better view of the speaker and it's easier to see. So... <clears throat> As Ezra stood there on the platform, high above the people, they all kept their eyes fixed on him. Now, not only did they stand for that period of time, they had their eyes fixed on him intently. And as soon as he opened the book, they stood up. Ezra said, praise the Lord, the great God. All the people raised their arms and answered, amen, amen. Every time we say praise God, we should say amen, amen. Let's practice that. Praise God. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, amen, man means you're agreeing with what was said. So I agree with that. Then after that, they knelt in worship with their faces to the ground. They worshiped a lot different than we did. They prostrated themselves to the ground, and we've seen this in movies. They did that a lot, as their habit was to worship. Then they rose and stood in their places. Uh, the next slide. They gave an oral translation of God's law and explained it so that the people could understand it. When the people heard what the law required, they were so moved that they gave, began to cry. So Nehemiah, who was the governor, Nehemiah was the governor, not Ezra. Ezra was the priest. Ezra the priest, the scholar of the law, and the Levites who were explaining the law, told all the people, this, is a day, this day is holy to the Lord your God, so you are not to mourn or cry. Now go home and have a feast. Share your food and wine with those who don't have enough. Today is holy to our Lord, so don't be sad. The joy that the Lord gives, gives you will make you strong. Now when they heard the word of God, they grieved. Now, to understand that word grieved, we have to understand that it was, to them, it was just like when we lose a loved one. We grieve. And they were crying, and they were just wailing because of their sin. <clears throat> the guilt, obviously, overwhelmed them. And I 
about how far they had strayed from God's will. Now, I wonder if we feel the same way about our sins sometimes. We've become so commonplace in the environment we live in that sin isn't a big deal to us. We think, well, it's all right, God forgave me, so I'm okay. But we need to start letting God convict us of our sins. Now, the closer we are to God, the easier it is for God to convict us. How many remember right after you got saved and you were just so excited about being saved and any little thing you did, you got a prick in your heart. And you said, oh, God, forgive me. But then after the newness wore off, then, oh, well, I'll confess later. Oh, we kind of take it for granted, and then we start slipping away from God. But that doesn't have to be the scenario that we live in today. When we're happy in the Lord, we're stronger because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. When we realize we have sinned, it should cause us grief. We should be upset about it. We should be sorrowful about it. And sorrow is only good if it brings us to repentance and causes us to humble ourselves and confess our sin and receive his forgiveness. <clears throat> now, there is a sorrow that is not in the will of God. Sorrow or despair is destructive after confession. And if we receive forgiveness, it's destructive after that. How many people <clears throat> pray for forgiveness for something, and they, every day they pray for it, even though they haven't committed that sin again? They keep praying for it because Satan allows us to be convicted by our past sins. <clears throat> and then we're pricked in our hearts, and, 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 and we have a hard time. and We don't feel joyful because that sin keeps haunting us. Well, the problem is we're not receiving forgiveness. When you have a house payment or a mortgage on your house and somebody come and automatically paid it off for you, you'd be joyful. And every month, no house payment. You don't have to worry about it anymore because it's paid off. Well, that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. He paid it off. He paid off the mortgage for our souls. The problem is we don't have we just have to receive it. <clears throat> but Satan makes sure and does his best that we don't. We have a whole world out there that is convicted and guilty over their sins, and a lot of them don't know why they feel like they do, and they get depressed, but they don't know why. The devil is just enforcing that guilt on people <clears throat> and say, Well, if I just had a lot more money, I wouldn't feel this way. There are a lot of rich people that have everything that they want, and they're still miserable. They're guilty. They feel the guilt in their hearts, and they don't know what it is or what's causing it. And a lot of them take their own lives because they can't deal with it. But we don't have to do that because God has forgiven our sins through Jesus Christ, and we accept him as our Savior. And we need to keep, keep that in our minds, and every time the devil says, Ah, oh, you did it again. Look, you did it again. You say, oh, it's under the blood. I confess it. We've got to quit allowing him to take our joy away from us. <clears throat> Isaiah 61, 2 and 3. He sent me to proclaim that the time has come when the Lord 
will, give, will save his people and defeat their enemies. He has sent me to comfort all who mourn, to give to those who mourn in Zion joy and gladness instead of grief, a song of praise instead of sorrow. Jesus came to give us these things. Jesus proclaimed, blessed are those who mourn. In Matthew 5, 4, they shall be comforted. Now we sometimes think about this verse as people who mourn from the loss of a loved one. And that's part of it. God can comfort us when we've lost a loved one. But it's more in relationship to those who mourn over their sins because we realize how much we failed God and we just cannot live with this conviction in our hearts. But he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So if you're here mourning this morning, Jesus said, I have come to comfort you. <clears throat> Satan loves it when believers lack spiritual comfort and joy. He rejoices when we are under his thumb because we're worthless to the Lord and no threat. I want to be a threat to Satan, don't you? I want to be a threat so bad that when I get up in the morning and when you get up in the morning, Satan trembles and says, oh no, they're up. Don't you want that kind of fear in the heart of Satan? Well, we can have that. Jesus died to give us that. We have no reason to feel guilty. We have no reason to mourn. We have no reason to, to be in bondage to our sins. Because Jesus died for them. Nehemiah 8, 9, B, and 10. Ezra the priest and scholar of the law and Levites who were explaining the law told all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God, so you are not to mourn or cry. Now go home and have a feast. Share your food and wine with those who don't have enough. Today is holy to our Lord, so don't be sad. The joy that the Lord gives you will make you strong. Despair doesn't promote growth, transformation, thanksgiving, praise, or worship. It doesn't bring victory over temptation and trials. Joy has the power that produces a victorious Christian. That's why joy is so important. And without it, we are weak. The reason believers don't go spirit, grow spiritually is because they lack joy. Have you ever noticed that when you're really, really happy, that problems don't bother you as much? But the more unhappy we are, the more the things of this world bother us, and it doesn't take a lot. You know, we step on a rock, and we so lack of joy in our hearts that we get mad and throw a tantrum. <clears throat> We kick the rock or we fall on our butt. That's what happened to me. <laughs> or we do everything because it's just a little thing just sets us off. If that's happening to us, we need to realize that Satan has stolen our joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want to be strong. And Satan hates it when we're happy. Now, being happy and joyful aren't the same things. We can be happy in any condition that we find it. But joy is something that only comes from God. And when we come to him for joy and comfort, and he grants it. But we got to receive it. 
Forgiveness brings joy, but the problem we have is we ask for forgiveness and don't receive it. It's like we put our burdens on the altar and we come and we pray, Lord, I'm just giving it to you. It's in your hands now. I'm not talking about it anymore. I'm not going to do anything about it anymore. I've given it to you. But just as we get up and leave the altar, it's like a yo-yo and we just flip the string and we bring the yo-yo back to us. We take the the forgiveness that Jesus just granted us and we take it with us. We keep carrying the guilt of our sin with us. And it isn't and sin, when I say sin, it could be sin against every sin is against God, but it could be something we've done to our neighbor, to our friends, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's sin too. And it's not just the big things we worry need to worry about, it's the small things. Because small things accumulate in our lives if we don't get rid of them, and one day we just blow up. And we'll say, Man, I don't know what happened. Where did that come from? It came from letting those little things keep growing in our heart until they, we, we just can't stand anymore. But we give those little things to God at the beginning. That we don't really worry about that. I have never blown up when I'm really joyful in the Lord. When I have a good praise session with God or, or whatever and I ask him for forgiveness and, and I allow him to forgive me and comfort me and, and, and wash me and cleanse me, Stuff doesn't bother me. But when I'm not, I'll tell you, I'm just like you. I have a problem. And that's when I realize that I need to have a revival. Brother Randy and I were talking about that on the way to church this morning. One of the songs on the radio where he listened says, we need revival. And we do need revival. We need revival in this nation. But before we can have it in our nation, we had to have it in our church and in our hearts. Because if we don't have revival in our hearts, we're just going to roll with the punches and say, you know, it isn't a big deal. Oh, well, can't do anything about it. So the nation did this. There ain't nothing I can do about it. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot you can do about it. Number one, you can pray. You know, I got really irritated when they took Judge Jeanine off the Fox News Network. I know. She's back on, but why is she back on? Because people like me wrote them letters and told them that, hey, what's going on here? The only place we can have free speech is on the hate Trump media. And I know there were thousands of other people that did the same thing. And I looked at the thing on my, from my reply, and I got 16 million people saw that. That's a lot of people. I told him that. I said, whoa, I can't believe that. But see, it doesn't take a lot. You just go through the things and gather together and say, I am not taking this anymore. We need to take back our gov- government and our leadership. And how do we do that? One politician at a time. We don't have to live with the stuff that they're doing. We need to pray and start doing something about it. <clears throat> when they took Judge Jeanine off the, off the air, I said, I guess that means we have to go revolt and protest and gather together and break stuff, light things on fire. 
Because after all, that's what the other side does when they don't get their way. No, we don't do that. We need to pray and do things within God. Would God be proud of the way that I'm protesting? If he is, God wants us to protest. God doesn't want us to lay down and be walked on. Nowhere does it say that in God's word. Nowhere. And people say, well, Jesus was meek. Well, you look up that word meek, and it means a willing obedience to an authority. When he walked on this earth, he was, he was meek because he had yielded himself to the glory, to the subjection under God. He became a man. And he was limited the same way we are. But he knew God. He knew that he was God. And he didn't have to put up with this stuff. <clears throat> and he told us we can do greater things than he has done because he's gone to the Father. But we don't believe that scripture. We haven't done greater things than him. We just sit home and gripe and complain. Now, maybe the only thing you can do is send an email. But do it. But every one of us can pray. <clears throat> Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So many believers lack joy because we're afraid of what people think. So we come to church and we don't want to get excited. We don't want to clap our hands because what will people think? I feel like dancing, but I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid of what people think. I'll tell you, if you like feel like dancing and worshiping God, do it. I don't care. I encourage it. Maybe it'll start a revival. All it takes is one person. Sometimes all it takes is a mouse. I remember one time their pastor told us a story of a church service where the people were there and the place was kind of packed and, you know, it was kind of a, not really the greatest, what you'd call the greatest service that you'd been attended in. And all of a sudden, a mouse ran up a lady's leg and she screamed. And then all of a sudden, the whole house started worshiping God and the power of God fell on the place. If you got a mouse crawling up your leg, scream. Maybe I'll, I'll turn one loose in the church so maybe it'll happen. <laughs> Pray God, anoint this mouse. I'm turning it loose this morning. We want a revival. But whatever it takes, because the power of God coming into the place is what gives us joy and what gives us strength. I remember the revivals that we had at Valley, and Pastor Smith was, was preaching. On every, every Sunday night was a revival. We'd had great ministers come through. Revivals. We loved them. I meant we didn't like it. We had to get up early in the morning, but we didn't mind it. We'd be there till midnight, and I had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to work. And was I tired? Yeah. But I just thinking about, oh, man, I can hardly get back to church. Because there's something about the presence and the power of God that flows through a congregation, through the heart of God's people, that it doesn't matter how tired I am. All of a sudden, you come to church and you feel the glory of God. Man, your eyes pop open and the energy lever just, woo! So, woo-hoo-hoo! Praise God! We need to start getting a little more enthusiastic about worshiping God. <clears throat> because if we are and when we are, the things in life won't seem as bad. 
getting up and going to work, we can say, thank God I got a job. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> when people at war, they said, hallelujah, and passed the ammunition. That's what we need to do. We don't have joy because we allow Satan to seal it. Now, Satan works very hard to discourage in us by worshiping, by whispering in our ears, spiritual ears. And he says, have you heard him whisper these things? You're no good. God's not pleased with you. He never will be. You're a spiritual loser. You have too many faults, and you'll never be able to successfully live the Christian life. You'll never be able to please God. You've screwed up so many times, he's not going to continue to forgive you. You might as well give up because you'll never make it. You don't have a chance in reaching heaven. You're going to hell, so you might, you know, so if you might as well give up and enjoy this life because that's all you've got. Has Satan whispered anything like that to you in your ears? He has me. I remember when I got saved at a, at a younger age, <clears throat> and I kept failing. And I'm not a person that deals with failure very well. It isn't failure itself, it's just that I failed. I did something and I, and I failed, because failure was not an option with me. So when I screwed up, messed up and sinned, and did something that was displeasing to God, I'd ask forgiveness and go on, and then, then it happened again, happened again, happened again. And I believe that lie, that God isn't going to forgive me anymore. I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And one day, God will quit forgiving me. <clears throat> and I believed it to the extent that I told God, I said, you know, God, I've done everything I can. I believe, I try to serve, live this life, but it's too hard, and I fail all the time. So I, if I'm going to go to hell, I might as well live this life because that's all I have is this life. I might as well enjoy it. And I did. And God convicted me every time I turned around. And every time I turned around, I said, God, but I failed so many times. I can't live for you. It's too hard. Till finally, one day, I was really, really under conviction, heavy conviction. I was at home. I wasn't in church service. I was at home. I hadn't gone to church very much. And I was at home, and I just felt this deep conviction in my heart. <clears throat> and I prayed that prayer again. Because I told God, if you know there's a time I can live for you, I will. But until then, you just leave me alone. Because all I have is this life. But the conviction was so strong, and I just couldn't handle it. And I prayed, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he said, yes, you can. And I'm sitting there arguing with God just like I'd be arguing with you. And he said, yes, you can. And I said, no, I can't. And I thought, you can't do it. And, I, and he kept saying, yes, you can. And I said, well, what's different now that it wasn't, that isn't, that wasn't then? And it was just like he stood me in front of a mirror and he showed me kind of my life and the failures that I'd went through and all the things that were going on and what he had uh, taught me through all these things that I wasn't even paying attention to. And he showed me all these things. He showed me the way my life was more disciplined. 
And I didn't allow certain things to bother me as much as I did then. <clears throat> and so that was it. Man, I'll tell you, I, caught, I bawled and I mourned and I grieved and I cried. But when I got up, I was different. More different than I've ever been in my life. I finally accepted God's forgiveness. And I finally realized that it wasn't matter how many times I failed and how many times I faltered. All I got to do is get up one more time than I fall. That's the secret. And we need to keep praying those forgiveness prayers until we get to heaven. I say, well, what happens if I forget to ask forgiveness and, and I die? Jesus died for your sins. It's when you try, you're living a lifestyle of sin and you're flaunting it in God's face. That's when you have a problem. But don't worry about it. If you ever get that point, you won't be convicted. As long as you're convicted, thank God, because he's still dealing with you. He still loves you. He just wants you to confess the sin and receive forgiveness. The hardest thing is receiving something. I have a terrible time with that. When I preached and done things and people wanted to give me money for it, I just, I felt I can't take it. I just can't. It's, it's just, <clears throat> I don't feel right. And then somebody told me, you know, the Bible says the labor is worthy of their hire. And so I started, okay, God, okay, God. And I still don't feel good about people giving me money, but I do sometimes because I need to be obedient. And we need to be obedient. We need to accept the things that God does and really accept them and forget about them. Don't let the devil keep bringing them up. Every time he reminds you, past, remind him of his future. <clears throat> if he can get us to think his thoughts, our minds become his fortress and under his control. Most of our battle happens in our mind. We need to realize that. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When, we, when Satan attacks us, we need to fight back with the promises of God. No matter what he says to us, we've got to have something to counter it. That's why we need to read God's word. We need to find scriptures that challenge us and, and defeats the lies and the destructiveness of the devil. We need to write them down and memorize them. So when the devil brings it up, we have a verse that can fight it. And it's not that hard. We don't need a lot of verses. You don't need to memorize a lot of verses. And you say, well, I just can't sit there and just do it over and over again, try to memorize it, whatever. You don't need to worry about it. You need to get it in there, just like you do a computer, and then you want that file, you push on it, and it shows up. Well, we got to get it in here before God can bring it out. <clears throat> Romans 8, 31 through 35, 37 39. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also forgive him freely, give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, 
Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can defeat us. And said, well, it said created thing, over anything created things. Well, Satan is a created thing. Must remember that. And we need to take power and authority over it. Who is, any, who is Satan or anybody else to condemn us when Jesus has forgiven us? He died to save us. We just need to take hold of that and cling to it. No matter what happens, God is with us. We can't go anywhere without the love of God being upon us. Philippians 1.6 For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. A bumper sticker read, Don't judge me now, God ain't done with me yet. You know, no matter where we're at here this morning, God isn't done with us yet. You know, it's amazing. We have all kinds of patience with a little baby who's learning to walk. And we encourage him. And when they fall, we help him up. And we just keep encouraging them, encouraging them, encouraging them until they walk. And it's a great victory, and we get so excited about that. But then we turn around to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're learning to walk, and they stumble. And what do we do? We kick them when they're down. We need to give them patience, to, because God isn't done with them yet. We need to help them and pray for them. If, you pray, if we pray for people as much as we gripe about them, their lives would change and our lives would change because there's great power in that. Philipp, Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We spend too much time looking behind us instead of looking forward. If you get, when you get in your cars after you leave here, you're going to find out that the rearview mirror is this big, but the windshield is this big. We need to look in the rearview mirror only to remember where God brought us from, but not to use it as condemnation. We need to look forward. And this is Paul. Paul is saying, I haven't attained it yet. And we all hold Paul in great regard. And if he hadn't attained it yet, neither have we. We're not going to attain it till we die and go to heaven or the Lord comes and changes us. Then we will attain it. But until then, we press on, move forward, and help each other to move forward. <clears throat> when Satan tries to get us down, rejoice. Why? Because he's afraid of us. We need to open Bible and read those passages or quote them again. We need to rejoice in God's love and faithfulness. We need to tell God what's going on in our mind. Because God already knows. 
when I have something going on in my life, I tell him about it. It isn't a secret. I tell him, you know, God, I'm kind of mad at you today. <gasps> oh, no, you told God that? Yeah. <clears throat> because I get mad sometimes. I get upset, just like you do. And I tell God all about it. I'm mad about this. I don't think I should have had to have this happen. I was very upset when I have to have my ankle done again when I just had it done. I'm upset about that. Every time I turn around, it seems like something else is happening. Had to have my tooth done. Randy's computer died. Now, that's financial stuff, but when financial stuff sits in the wallet, it still hurts. I don't have enough money that I can afford to lay out $1,000 for a tooth or money for a new computer, you know. I'm glad, I, I'm glad we can do it. I'm glad we can pay for it. Even though we put it on a credit card, we'll pay it. <laughs> but I'm glad we have the ability to do that. I thank God that we can. Otherwise, I'd be sitting here with a bad tooth. <clears throat> so we need to thank God. We need to ask him to bring us peace. Forgive us for the, the way that we feel when we're mad at God. Say, God, I'm mad at you, but I don't want to be. Please forgive me. Forgive me of this sin. Lord, wrap your loving arms around me and give me peace and comfort and restore the joy in my heart. And you know what? God does it. But the problem is we don't tell God everything. We think we're hiding stuff. Well, I don't want God to know that's how I feel. He already knows. He knows our every thought, every word. So we might as well just tell it out loud, and that's called confession. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't even worry about it, but we got to confess it. We got to get it out there. Get it out there and deal with it. We need to count our blessings and thank him and remember how good he has been to us. A man decided he had had enough of serving God, so he went into the woods with his Bible, planning to leave it there. But before he did, he told God he'd had enough. But before I do and leave, I want, do want to thank you for all the things you've done. As he was finished naming them one by one, he looked up and saw a shadow of a cross created by the trees and fell on his knees and wept bitterly and said, how can I leave you after all you've done? You know, if we count our blessings instead of our owies, instead of all the things that's going wrong, that's what we do. We count the bad stuff. That's why news programs are all so popular. Is it because of the positive stuff? No, they like the negative stuff. If they can get a good rumor or a bad story, they print it, whether it's true or not. And then they don't even say they're sorry afterwards which makes me mad. <clears throat> but if we start counting our blessings, we'll be able to get through this life. 1 Peter 3.12. Oh, what did I do? What, miss those? I'm sorry. I'll get those too. John 4.4. 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the song we sang. Now, we remember that song. It's easy. So if you're having problems, just start singing that song. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's easy. Just learn it and sing it. And it's amazing how powerful music is. 
once we get our voice singing it in our hearts, well, pretty soon it'll start changing when we realize and we're confessing. Because this is a confession that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. doesn't matter what's going on. God is greater. Philippians 4.13, we know very well. We quote it all the time. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. No matter what problem you're facing, you can make it because he strengthens us. He will strengthen us. So don't worry about it. Trust him. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God's ears attend to us in prayer. When you're having a problem, all you have to do is speak the name of Jesus. Of course, he's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And when we, when we become a believer, he comes and lives within us. But then he's not only in us, he's with us. He's got us surrounded. So what do we fear? Why do we allow this world to beat us down? We should be walking around with our step and, and just tearing up the place because God is with us and he strengthens us. <clears throat> we brought a gun to a knife fight. How many know that movie reference, Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know, it's kind of funny in the show. Brought a gun to a, he brought a knife to a gunfight. And that's what's happening in this world. The world has a knife, but we have a gun. And I'd rather have the gun. And God is our God. God is our weapon. God is my strength. We can never give up because our strength is in the joy of the Lord. You want joy? We only get it from God. And we need to get it from him. Don't you want to just have the joy of the Lord all the time? We can. It's up to us. We can walk in joy and peace and comfort, or we can walk in depression and defeat us avenue and know without hope. And people that don't have any hope get depressed. But see, that we don't have to worry about that. We have hope. We don't have a hope that's empty. We have God. Now, I know there are people that get depressed because of medical imbalance, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people that just focus so much on the bad things that it just destroys them from the inside out. <clears throat> but God wants to love us from the inside out. It's our choice. Amen? Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, that we have strength in you. And Lord, we just need to sing and and read your word and, and do those kind of things, Lord, because you're with us. And no matter what's going on in our life, you can take care of it. You're able to. And we just need to trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord. Help us to get that strength from your joy. To be able to go on from day to day because we know that times are short. <clears throat> so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that for everyone that is here, if they don't have joy, I pray, Lord, that they just reach out to you, Lord, and confess whatever's going on in their life to you and ask them to return the joy that they once had in you. This morning, in Jesus' name, amen.
Now, I know that everybody's a believer here this morning, but sometimes we get low on the joy meter. Now, if you're here this morning and you lack a lot of joy in your life because the things of this world just beat you down, let God take care of it. Let him intervene. You know, you know, when we were a kid growing up, or you've seen shows about the, some little kid that's being bullied, and he's got a big brother, 